It's intense, isn't it? These are like speechless almost. All right, well, we are starting our uh, kind of a mini-series into Jonah. We're going to do four weeks of it before we go into Christmas time. And so um, just to kind of let you know what's coming up and what we have in store, we have Jonah here for four weeks. And then uh, we will do Christmas. We get kind of through the end of the year. And then our plan for next year is uh, on January 1st, we always kind of do kind of a recasting of the vision of the church and why we exist and that sort of thing. And then that second week, we're going to start a series um, in the book of Romans. And we're going to go through the entire, entire book next year. So that's, uh, that's the plan at this point. Uh, I'm excited about that. Romans is going to be a great book to go through. And our theme really for the year, we try to do every year kind of a, a theme of some, some kind, and our theme next year is going to be reaching out. And so it's one of the reasons we started Involved Church was to reach our community, and uh, that'll be our fifth anniversary at the end of the year next year. And so we want to uh, just kind of put that as, as a, a marker that we are a church that is dedicated to reaching out to people. So... That's what we have uh, in store for next year. I think Jonah is going to help us go in that direction. And then as we go through Romans, it's going to continue to bring up the fact that we are saved by grace, not by works. And we are called to go out and share that gospel with other people. And so that's what we're going to be challenged with more and more next next year. But today, we're going to be challenged with Jonah. And so um, as you think about... Jonah and the story behind it, you're going to see here we have kind of this, this phrase under Jonah, shaping the heart. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We are going into the Christmas season, and I thought kind of an interesting parallel to Jonah is the story of the Grinch. Remember, the story of the Grinch is he didn't want the Who's down in Whoville to be celebrating Christmas, to have all that fun and excitement on their own. And so he you know, has this, this plan to go out there and destroy Christmas for them. And in a way, that's what Jonah is kind of doing with Nineveh. God has a plan to show mercy to Nineveh. And, and Jonah says, you know what? I don't want to do that. And uh, quite possibly his heart was two sizes too small. So... We're going to take a look at that, and then the challenge will be that you and I are not to be Jonah's, right? So you are here because Jesus wants to transform your life. Not your circumstance, but your life. Oftentimes we, we think of Christianity or our faith or religion or anything along those lines. We think of it as, oh, we're going to go there and learn how to transform our circumstances. But that's not really true. Sometimes we're in the circumstances we're in because God's transforming us. And so uh, we are here to have Jesus transform our life. And I guarantee you, as you go through this series, if, if you show up you know, and you listen and you take in what God's going to do through this series, I think your life is going to be challenged and you're going to be pushed to some uncomfortable corners of your life. So I, I think that's something that I've seen as I've been reading through it and studying on my own, and I trust that you will too. So one question that has, has come up a few times is people have said, what happened to those jokes? You kept giving me some jokes, and, and then you stopped for a while. Because partly it's hard to find good jokes out there. So, um, so they just get worse and worse week after week. Because the scarecrow joke, how do you top that one, right? So here's one, because you need a fishing joke, 
right? What kind of music should you listen to while fishing? Something catchy. <laughs> there you go. How lame can it get? All right. So that one's easy to remember, at least. Something catchy. Well, let's give you a little bit of the background, history of Jonah, and where we're going. Um, I like to do this whenever we start into a book, to give you a little bit of the background to understand uh, maybe how it was written, why it was written, and those types of things. And so here's just a timeline to give you an idea of where Jonah is. And I've got two things circled on there. You've got Jonah and Esther. We just finished up our series in Esther, and so that's why I wanted to hit that point there, that Esther actually takes place after Jonah around that, that 450 to 500 B.C. Now, you're going to notice the dates there. This is a B.C. calendar, so it goes opposite direction. If you were to go all the way out, you go about 4,000 years out, and then it goes down to zero, and then at zero is kind of that, that time where Jesus was born, probably around 3 B.C. or so. And then, and then it starts counting back up to 2019, almost 2020 today. So Jonah was about 300 years before Esther. And Jonah was a prophet before the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom was, was taken captive. That happened about 722 B.C. And so in that time frame, uh, Israel was, was carried off by the Assyrians and, and so forth, and they were captured by them. And so Jonah is the one who's going to prophesy to the Ninevites, go out and communicate God's word and truth to the Ninevites before that event actually takes place. So that tells you a little bit about where we are, at least in the timeline of Scripture. Who the author of Jonah is, it's uncertain. The the Scripture itself doesn't tell us. You know, sometimes, especially in the New Testament, you'll see this was a letter written by Paul or Peter or the gospel by Matthew or Mark or something like that. But Jonah doesn't tell us that. So we're kind of left unknown. If it was Jonah, which I think it possibly could be because of all the details, then then it would put it at the time when, when Jonah lived. It could have been after a little while, so maybe Micah or Hosea, Isaiah, Amos, who was a contemporary, he may have, have wrote it as, as well. Um, we just don't know, but, but probably somewhere in that time frame. And the purpose of Jonah. I think the purpose of Jonah is found in chapter 4, and that's all the way at the end. But basically, it's to communicate that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love towards both Israel and Gentiles. And in some ways, it's kind of a, a transition, a beginning and a transition into the time of Christ. Because as Christ comes onto the scene, he begins to preach that gospel and preach that truth that he didn't come just for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles also. So he's going to communicate that, and we'll see that more as we move forward and get into chapter 4, verse 2. Well, let's go ahead and start uh, with a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into the text together. Father, it's good to be able to be together this morning. We know that this is your word. It's your truth. Even a story like Jonah, which some may look at and kind of think, oh, that's just a a fable or a story that, that you would tell at bedtime. We know that it's true. You can do these types of things. And that you took a guy named Jonah and you took him to Nineveh to, to teach a people that they needed to, to turn their hearts and repent. But that's a, a difficult story. And like Jonah, we can do the same thing. So, Lord, help us to challenge us as we work through this text together. If there are things in our lives, if we have Ninevehs in our lives, that we would identify those and that we would step out in faith and go to people that we may not 
normally want to go to and give them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a, a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, a lot of those names don't really mean a lot to us until we put them on a map. For them, it would have probably meant something like, oh, Nineveh's that direction, Tarshish is that direction. So let's take a look and put it on a map, and you can kind of see what he did. Uh, You'll see there, there's a pointer there, A, that's where uh, Jonah would have been, and he would have gone down to to Joppa. So he got the word, go to Nineveh over there at B, I don't know if this is backwards for me, B, go to Nineveh that way, okay, And, and, and God's God said, that's where I want you to go. I want you to speak to them. I want you to prophesy to them. I want you to teach them. And, uh, and Jonah says, you know, I think instead I'm going to go to Tarshish. And, and so he goes down and he, he probably looks through, you know, the, the log book and he starts to talk to the different sailors and he's thinking, how far can I get away from Nineveh? And as far as we know, at that time, this would have been about as far as the ship would have gone. So possibly there at, at Spain, before it really opens up into the um, Pacific Ocean there, you know, he, he, would, have, he would have gone and, and gone to, to that area, right? Oh, sorry, the Atlantic Ocean. There, thanks. He's like, that's not the Pacific. You're correct. Um, so he would have gone to, to Spain in, in that direction and got as far away as possible. Well, let's take a look a little bit more at Nineveh, the great city. Um, throughout this series, I think we're going to be challenged to think about our Ninevehs, people groups that maybe we don't want to, to reach out to. And so here's some things that we read about Nineveh, and I think will challenge us as we, we think through some people that maybe we don't want to reach out to. So one, just a, a fact, Genesis 10, 11 through 12 tells us where Nineveh comes from, and the descendants of Noah went out and established Nineveh, and at that point, even in Genesis, it was called a great city. So it's almost traditionally maintained that it was a great city. Now, the word great city in Jonah could mean that it was very large, could mean it was very powerful, or it could just be a traditional name. That was the idea behind the great city. It was known in the Bible then as a wicked city. You can see this in Nahum as he is one that is sharing about it. It plotted evil, okay? Uh, if we want to go out and, and create evil or, or um, take over other countries and so forth, it was unusually cruel. So as it did go out and, and try to take over other countries, it was oppressive as another nation. Uh, there's a lot of prostitute, uh, prostitution and witchcraft, according to, to Nahum. And then there was a lot of commercial exploitation. So they would take advantage of their position uh, with other countries and those types of things. Uh, that was the kind of, of city that Nineveh was. So as you think about our Nineveh, where are places that God might challenge us to go that would be similar to Nineveh or a place that we would just feel uncomfortable to go, like, like Jonah? 
And so I was thinking through, I mean, there's some we could just say, okay, the poor neighborhoods in the Treasure Valley, we might list those. Um, if it was another country, you might think of like Assyria, um, Assyria's like, like North Korea. Or maybe it's like a radical Islam state. And we say, oh, we don't, we don't want to go there. Um, more difficult. It could be people who are um, doing just horrific things, sex trafficking, drug users and dealers, people in prisons. Or let's make it a little more personal. How about people who have opposing political parties or people who are part of an opposing political party? A different generation. There are people groups out there that we might distance ourselves from and we say, no, I'm not going to go reach them because maybe God hasn't designed me to do that or I don't feel comfortable to go and do that. Or, and so we have various reasons why we don't go to these other places. And so we might flee like Jonah to Tarshish. See how it's going to be challenging as you move through and you start to really apply it to your own lives? Jonah intentionally avoids the Lord. And it's really easy for us to intentionally avoid the Lord when he asks us to do things we don't want to do. And in this case, Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh, a place he did not want to go. So what happens next in the story? Verse 4, we pick up. The Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart, and the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Now, you can stop and ask the question, how bad was the storm? When you have experienced sailors who make their living off of cargo... Throwing that cargo over the board, it's pretty bad, right? Because they know if they get all the way to Tarshish and there's no cargo, they get no money. And so they're throwing this over the board. It's, it's something they're experienced. They, they know that this is a terrible storm, and if they don't lighten their load, it's very possible that they'll end up dying. Meanwhile, look at what happens. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So here's a boat that's rocking around. The sailors are making a lot of noise. They're throwing cargo overboard, and somehow Jonah goes into the deepest part of the boat and falls asleep. Does that seem a little odd? Well, one of two things, maybe that's why it's pointed out here. One, he felt just so at peace. That's one argument. He was just so at peace that he was able to go down and do that. I think... Quite possibly, it was the opposite. He'd been running from the Lord. Sometimes we read things like this and we think, oh, in an hour he just went down to Joppa, got on a ship and took off. But this was probably several days. He'd been running from God. He'd been going in a different direction. And now he gets to this point where he finally gets on the ship. He's out into the ocean. And he thinks to himself, okay, what's going to happen now? Finally, he just kind of relaxes. And because he's been running from God and because he's tired and is so exhausted from running from him, he finally collapses at the bottom of the ship. And he falls into a deep sleep. That's more like what happens when we run from God. We oftentimes have guilt and conviction, and eventually we kind of get worn out and tired, and then we end up crashing. 
And so Jonah here is at the bottom of the ship. He's sleeping, and the captain comes and approaches him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and then we won't perish. And what you see there is God is intentionally pursuing Jonah. Jonah says, I don't want to go the direction you want to go, so I'm going to go the opposite way. God doesn't leave him alone. He doesn't say, okay, Jonah, I'm going to go to the next prophet. He says, you're the one I want to take. You're the one I want to use. And if you don't like it, then guess what? I'm going to send a storm. And it's going to get your attention. And so the Lord intentionally pursues Jonah. There's really no place you and I can ever run where God cannot reach us. And out of an act of grace, he pursues us. Psalm 139, 1 through 7, listen to this. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. So even though we think we might be going in a different direction, even though we think we might be distancing ourselves from God, God pursues us. We never can leave his eyes his ears, and where his hands can reach. We just can't run away from him. And Jonah finds that out. So keep going forward. Verse 7. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Now that might remind you a little bit of the story of Esther. And Esther, they cast lots too. Haman casts lots there. And the best way of saying cast lots, sometimes it's like throwing the dice. Some, some would say it's like drawing straws or something like that. It's, it, we would often say it's by chance. But when you have a a sovereign God, there is no chance. And so God is the one who is in control of the lot casting. So it says, then we will know, the sailors are saying, we will know who is to blame for this trouble we are in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? So they didn't really know about him. I mean, he came, he said, hey, I'll pay this fare. They said, great, hop on board. Didn't do any research, right? So they ask now, well, what's your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And so Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So it gives us a little more detail there. But Jonah, in his explanation, said, yes, I'm running from God. And they're like, oh. One of the things that they all believe, they were polytheistic. It says they were praying to many gods. And when Jonah represents his God or he speaks about his God, he says, well, my God is the one that actually made the land and the sea and everything in it. He's the most powerful God. And so then they're thinking, wait, you, you know the most powerful God. You know Israel's God. And, and, and Israel's God had a reputation of being a very powerful God. And so they said, wow, you have the most powerful God that we know of. And obviously, he's not happy with you, Jonah. And so they're scared. And they said to him, 
What should we do to you that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. The Lord intentionally calls Jonah out in that case. Like sometimes, again, we think we can run away from him. Sometimes we can ignore him. Sometimes we can hide from him. But eventually, because God loves us, he calls us out. Sometimes he disciplines us because he loves us. Proverbs 3.12 reassures that. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. I just use the example, many parents, I think, can relate to this when you're walking out of a, of a store and there's cars going by the sidewalk and your son or daughter takes off and starts to take off. You don't just stand there and say, hey, don't do that. You run after them, you grab them because you know that they could run into traffic and die. And so you pull them back and maybe you... Maybe you scold them, or maybe you talk to them face-to-face, and you, t- you know, tell them this isn't right, and this is why, and you explain them. But you take the time to do that, and that's what God does for us. When he sees us going in the wrong direction, he reaches down and he grabs us at times because he loves us. And he knows what's good for us. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he reached out to Jonah. He intentionally calls Jonah out because he had a purpose and a plan for Jonah. And Jonah needed to follow and listen to him. So verses 12 through 16, he answered them, Pick me up then. This is Jonah talking to the sailors now. Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Okay, they knew that this is a powerful God, and so they started thinking to themselves, well, we don't want to kill Jonah. We don't want to throw him over in the sea. Maybe God would be even more mad about this. They could, um, but, it, but it tells us as they go forward, they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So as they tried harder and harder, it became clear, hey, I don't think we're going to get out of this. So they called out to the Lord, and this is interesting <laughs> it's interesting that they did this. Please, Lord, don't let us perish. And I think this maybe drives home the idea of how terrified or how fearful they were of God. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. So they cried out to God. They did a prayer to God, and they said, Please don't hold us accountable. We're just innocent bystanders here. We're just sailors trying to do our job. But we know there's an issue and we've got to deal with it. So verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped. It's raging. At that point, I'm sure there was great celebration on one hand. Well, you'd think that. But verse 16, it says the men were actually seized with great fear. So it's been building up, right? This the storm is getting worse and worse. They throw them overboard, and then all of a sudden it stops, and they're like, "There's always questioning your mind: Is God really doing this?" And when something like that happens, and the storm stops, all of a sudden they understood, and great fear seized them, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, what did God do with them? I don't know. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us if they became followers or believers or anything like that. We do know that they offered sacrifice, that it was something that was communicated to them. This is God. And they recognized it. But that's not what the story was about. The story wasn't about the sailors. The story was about the guy that just got thrown overboard. 
So look, one good thing in here is that Jonah does accept responsibility. And that is a positive part of this, this story where you see that, that he says, hey, it's my fault. Go ahead, throw me, over sea, go, throw me overboard into the sea, and I'll take the responsibility for it. So when they do, God does something that sometimes calls this story into question. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is where maybe you've had some questions over the years. Is it a great fish or is it a whale? And then people like have all debates about that. You could debate that for a couple hours, right? Uh, we don't, don't know. It's a great fish. The God of the universe who created all things in six days, could he have created a fish right there at that moment that swallowed Jonah? Sure. Could he have used a whale? Sure. Could have he created some unique fish 50 years before that, providentially knowing that he was going to swallow it? Sure. Does it really matter? No. It really doesn't. We just believe that God did that because that's what it says. So, a God who can create and have a baby spend its first nine months inside of a womb can easily put a man in a great fish and have him live for three days. That's not that hard to, to wrap our minds around. It's unusual, absolutely, that he can do that. So the Lord intentionally swallows Jonah. Okay, it wasn't an accident. This was a plan. And because Jonah ran away, God knew what was going to happen. He providentially put it all into place. He knew that he was going to board a ship. He knew that it was going to have a great storm. He knew that they were going to throw him overboard. And he said, at that moment, there's going to be this fish that's going to swallow Jonah. And Jonah... I'm sure at that moment, believed his life was over. I would. You probably would too. But God had another plan. One, he wanted to take Jonah and take him to Nineveh. And two, he wanted to use Jonah as an example. The Lord intentionally, and you'll see this word, intentionally, there's, there's a reason for this. Providential, uh, providentially, God is working throughout this whole story, just like we saw in Esther, just like we see here. The Lord intentionally uses Jonah as an example. There's no doubt God was using the fish to get Jonah's attention, but he also had another purpose in mind, that he planned to use Jonah as an analogy for Christ in the time that he spent in the grave. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 12. It says, he answered them. So people were coming and they were saying, how do we know you really are the Christ? How do we really know you are the Messiah? And Jesus says, before he dies on the cross, before he rises from the dead, he says, well, you're going to see something happen in the future. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. And that's what they were doing. Give us a sign that you're the Messiah. Well, you guys are just an evil and adulterous generation, he says to them. Is that the loving Jesus we often picture? He wasn't always nice because he wanted to point out the truth. Listen, you guys are an evil, adulterous generation. You're demanding a sign. He says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish, doesn't call it a whale there, just a great fish, don't know again, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights." And then he goes on, he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it 
Because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of, of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look, something greater than Solomon is here and that someone greater is Jesus Christ. So at that time, Nineveh heard a message from Jonah and it was a great message, repent, follow God. But he's telling the people, Jesus is telling the people several years later that those Ninevites will stand in judgment of the, the people who rejected Christ because someone greater than Jonah, who had been swallowed by a great fish and had been thrown up onto dry land, that person, Jonah, has a greater person after him, and that's Jesus Christ. So all of that, I think, to point us to a kind of a big idea and maybe summarize some of the thoughts we have. You can run, but the Lord intends to follow. Right? God can give you something to do, but the powerful God we serve and know will follow. Now, we know the story of Jesus Christ, and we know the gospel, and we know what he wants us to do with it, and he wants us to take the gospel and give it to people. And we can say, yes, I will do that. I will pray for people. I will share the gospel with people. I will do my part. Or we can say, nah, that's not really for me. You can run, but the Lord intends to follow. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a taste. I hope to be able to develop this a little bit more. But I think, um, I think you'll get the drift. If you guys are familiar at all with Dr. Seuss. So, here, here goes. This is just the first portion of it. The Lord saw Nineveh and decided to love them a lot. But Jonah, who lived west of Nineveh, did not. Jonah hated Nineveh, all the Ninevites and their treason. Now, please, don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was just two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he wouldn't go to Nineveh to preach to those fools. Why would the Lord send me there, he said with a frown, to show mercy and give time to an unworthy town? For he knew every Ninevite in Nineveh, far east, was busy celebrating their plunder with a great big feast. They're proud of their sins, he snarled with a sneer. The Lord is full of mercy, he said without fear. Then he growled with his Jonah fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to keep mercy from coming. And sometimes that's how we view other people, like, oh, God wants to save them? You bet. Kanye West, heard that name recently? has made a profession of faith in Christ. In the Christian community, there's some that are like, that's awesome. Kanye West has made a profession of faith, and he's telling people about Christ, and there are Christians out there like, well, we'll just wait and see. Right? I, I'm not here to stand in judgment, in judgment over Kanye West. I do know that people are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we ought to praise the Lord for that. 
I don't know where God is taking you or where he's calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you to go in some uncomfortable places. Maybe he's saying to you, you need to go reach some people that you don't want to reach. Maybe he's asking you to be compassionate to people you don't want to be compassionate with. Show mercy to those you don't want to show mercy. You can't ignore it. You got to follow. Otherwise, you might get swallowed up. We might get swallowed up. So we have time to respond. This is something we tried to do at the end of our messages so that we can reflect on these things. Like I say, it's going to be challenging, so be prepared. You're here to be transformed into Christ, not have Christ transform your circumstance. So that doesn't mean life gets easier. Sometimes it means it gets harder as we follow Christ. And to be honest, your life on Monday should be the same as it is on Sunday. In fact, I might even argue that on Sunday is the time you should be able to come and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing well. And hopefully the body of Christ will encourage you. And so Monday through Saturday are your great days of worshiping God and serving Him and being faithful to Him. So what's your Nineveh? Are there people groups you avoid because you don't want to talk to them? And then the second question is, do you have a Tarshish in your life? A place you like to run when the Lord is challenging you to reach out to someone. I can give you at least the two most common responses I get when when people are asked, hey, would you like to go and share your faith with somebody? Would you like to talk to someone about Jesus Christ? There's, There's two common responses. The first one is, I'm just too busy. So busyness is a Tarshish for people. Secondly is, I just don't know enough. So not having the knowledge, not being equipped is the second most common answer. You know the good news about those two? They can both be fixed. They can both be changed. You're in charge of your schedule. And secondly, you can learn. Right? Do you have a Tarshish in your life that you run to? A place where you think, oh, I can go there and be forgotten or ignore what God is challenging me to do. And then the last thing to respond to and make a commitment to is to reach out to someone this week. Now, I've just kind of left that open. It's very, uh, very open for you to kind of interpret that how you would like to. It could be, I want to write a card to somebody. It could be, I need to talk to somebody. It could be, I'm just going to commit to uh, pray with the waiter or waitress that I'll be uh, seeing at lunch today or something like that. It could be somebody at my work. It could be a family um, that you know doesn't have faith in Christ. I mean, it could be a lot of things. Make a commitment. Who is God pointing out in your life right now? If you're asking that in prayer, I think eventually God will bring somebody to mind. Or you can just simply say, God, open the doors this week for me to share my faith with people. Now, if you pray that prayer, keep your eyes open. We can pray that prayer and go, oh, I've prayed the prayer, that's great. But you've got to keep your eyes open because sometimes God just gives little subtle hints. Make a commitment to reach out to someone 
this week. Make sure that your Monday through Saturday is also a day of worship and service to the Lord. Well, think of those things as we close here. You have a couple minutes to reflect, pray. If you want to write a response card, ask some more questions, or fill it out on, on the hub, you can do that. And we'd love to talk to you more this week about what God's doing in your life. Think about those things, and also we'll be having people up here to pray with if you'd like to. You can come and pray if some of these things are really convicting and you just want to share them with the Lord now.